and we are now live. Thank you for joining me today, sir. How are you? I'm doing great. It's it's raining. That's why we're inside. Normally, I would have been sitting outside with my laptop, but it's uh, it's raining in California. This is a disaster. The average rainfall is, I believe, one day a month, and now it's been going on for seven days in a row. So I guess we're not going to get rain for a long time after this. <laughs> No, no, uh, no risks of floods or anything like that, though. It's all, all okay. Well, I, I, yeah, well, you know that you will get a mudslide, floods. I'm, I'm pretty sure that in in, in about thirty minutes there's going to be another flood warning here on, uh, on TV. All the phones will start ringing. You will hear it. <laughs> it starts. Everything starts going crazy here because they they can't handle the rain. Um, so for the UK fans listening, um, tell me about your background and kind of how your journey started to to where you are now. Oof, that, that that goes all the way back to when I was a little kid. I was, I was a very sick kid. I had a, a horrible skin disease and, and severe asthma. So uh, I got bullied a lot until I saw a Bruce Lee movie, uh, Enter the Dragon, when I was 12 years old. And I realized that if I would be like Bruce, then I could handle the bullies and the bullying would probably stop, which I was right. You know, so my, I, fine, I asked my parents to allow me to, to do martial arts. They didn't do it for two years. took me two years to finally convince them. And after two years, I started doing Taekwondo with adults. I, I, I was training, uh, I was taken under the wing by this uh, uh, the t- tough guy in town. He was dating the neighbor. I had a really beautiful neighbor, neighbor girls, two beautiful neighbor girls. And they were, one of them was dating the tough guy in town. And he took me under the swing to adult classes. And every, from there m- moment on, everything went fast. You know, I, I think within months, I was dropping the adults, with kicks to the body. And, and, and I heard a talk, talk about me in the dressing room. Oh my God, did you see that kid boss? Oh my God, he, he knocked out uh, Jack today, you know, with a body shot. And everybody was laughing. So my confidence started rising. And then I got into a fight with the biggest bully in my school. And it took one punch. You know, it was one punch. Literally, his nose was flat on his face, right? He got knocked out. But because his nose was broke, he had to go to the hospital. And that meant that the police was called. And that meant, of course, my pop, mom and dad were notified and they took me off martial arts right away because they thought it was violence. That was the first place that it took a long time for me to to, to allow them, to, for me to do martial arts. And this was the confirmation for them. I have to say, though, they never knew that I was bullied. Not to what extent, because they, my mother had already so much trouble with me. She had to bandage me every single night for my skin disease. I would rip that off in the middle of the night. She had to do it again, you know. So I was a little bit of a problem child. That's why I didn't tell them. So anyway... But now I tasted victory, of course. So I started learning, uh, reading books, uh, video cassettes at the time. You know, I spent a lot of time in the in the library. Uh, found two other guys. We started working out together. All three were all bullied. All three of us. And um, slowly but surely, I started getting better. And then when I was 20 years old, I I left the house and immediately I started doing taekwondo, some form of karate called shin tai karate. And I started Thai boxing, like four or five months later, because I wanted to compete, full contact. That went really well, you know, knocked a lot of people out all uh, in the first round. And then I quit because it was very hard to find opponents. Then I said no. Uh, then I said yes to a fight one time after three years not being, uh, uh, being not in the gym. Uh, I was drunk when I said yes. So when they called me uh, to where to send the posters to, it was in February. I said, well, uh, what, what posters? Just from the fight. I said, who's fighting? You. I said, me? I said, who am I fighting? He said, Frank Lotman. I said, Frank, the animal? That's his nickname. <clears throat> and they said, yes. I said, when did I say that? They said, New Year's Eve. And I thought back and I go, I realized that, I, yes, I did say that. Uh, so now I better own up to my word. When is the fight? Two and a half weeks. Oh, 
Okay, well, <laughs> I'm going to do it anyway. I knocked everybody out, so this was not going to be any different, I thought. But needless to say, two and a half weeks for preparation for a guy like that was not sufficient. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I lost that fight. And then I got spit out by the audience in, in Holland. So I didn't want to fight for them anymore. I won 12 fights by knockout, but one fight I lost, and suddenly I was the worst fighter. So I didn't want to compete anymore. I started doing these martial arts shows, um, choreographed fight scenes on music. We started in nightclubs. That became a hit. Then we started doing it in, uh, at events, like a Thai boxing event in the, in the intermission. We would do a show. And then suddenly we started traveling. We went to France. We went to Germany. We, went to, we started doing these shows all over the place, European TV, Dutch TV. You know, we became an... Uh, People started to notice us. And on one of these shows, because there was a lot of acrobatics involved, I would walk up with backflips, you know, and then a somersault. And that's how we would go to the place where we had to do our performance. Uh, that was Chris Dolman. Chris Dolman, that guy changed my life. He was the, the owner of Rings, the organization Rings that was also fighting in Japan. And he told me, um, he said, listen, I, I remember you from Thai boxing. Uh, and now I see you all the, doing these crazy acrobatics. I, I think free fighting, that's what they call it at the time. Maybe that's something that you're interested in. So I asked him about the rules. And he said, well, pretty much anything goes. And he ex explained it to me. And I said, and they pay you, right? Yeah, <clears throat> good. Because I, I don't have a job. I'm a bouncer. I'd rather go fight for a living than do that. And, you know, I started training. Long story short, he called me one day said that he, I needed to go to Amsterdam, come to Amsterdam right away because there were new, uh, two new fighters, Funaki Masakatsu and Suzuki Minoru. They started a new organization called Pancras in Japan. And it would start in September. And he said they want to, to see, to, 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 for you to have a tryout. So I went over to his gym. I got into a scuffle with one of his rings champions because he thought that he, yeah, well, I, I guess he wanted to be cool. He wanted to go really hard against me because they were filming. And I told him that it was not necessary. It was only good. You know, they only want to see us use technique. There's no need to go hard. So now I think that he thought I was afraid. So in round two, he turned it up. And then I stopped him again. And I said, listen, it's okay. for me. It's okay. I'm not saying this for me. It's kind of more for you. You know, this is not going to be a one-way traffic. If you continue, I'm going to do it back. And of course, he turned it on then, that, which resulted in me knocking him out with a high kick, which was very spectacular. I had a big cut here in his eye. So I saw these two scouts there, Funaki and Suzuki, pointing at me. And they said, we want him. And that was it. I mean, two months later, I was in Japan, September 93, 21st of September. And uh, changed my life. Knocked the guy out 45 seconds. Next day, people start bowing to me on the street. It was, it was the most insane thing that I've ever seen. But then I realized I was on the cover of the newspaper with the, me hanging in the, in the splits because apparently I didn't even know, I didn't even realize at that moment. When I knocked him out, I started jumping up to all the corners in the splits to the audience. <laughs> but it was just a thing that I used to do as a kid as well for fun, you know. But I, I didn't realize I did that. But now it became my trademark. Now suddenly I had to do it every fight. It's called the root and jump. But anyway, that picture was on the cover of a, a newspaper. You saw me hanging in the air and on the bottom was the guy laying knocked out on the ground. So that's why the people recognized me and started bowing on the street. And I'm not every person, but one in 10, it was insanity. For a guy for coming from Holland who never been in a different country other than Europe, you know, to fly 13 hours to Japan. And then after a fight, suddenly people start recognizing you on the street. Yeah, that was, uh, that was a weird experience. And, and that was it. It's, it, it started there, you know, I started knocking people out left and right, <clears throat> lost the fight by submission. Uh, because I was not a submission guy, I was a striker. And then I won a few fights again, lost another fight by submission. And when I lost my third fight by way of submission, I got really angry. I found, 
I got I became very vocal. I started asking everybody if I uh, who wanted to train with me. I found this one guy, Leon Van Dyke, because Amsterdam, Chris Dolman was it's a two two hour drive for me uh, from where I used to live. You know, I live all the way in the south. He lives all the way in the north. So I found this one guy, and uh, we just started training. We just started. We had never had a coach. We just watched tapes and just watch fights, and I say, hey, that's a cool move. Let's see if we can move, make that move as well. And then we start working with it. We realize, wait a minute, I think I can make this better. You know, at least make it fit better for my, for me. And, oh, wait a minute, I know how to escape this. Oh, how can I stop this from escaping? Okay, you should do this. And so we start really getting into the submission game. I became obsessed with submissions. <clears throat> and that was it, you know. It was uh, anything that you love to do and you get obsessed with, you do a lot. And once you do things a lot... You know, it changed my entire career. I never lost a fight anymore. Actually, when I came back after the last submission loss, I won my next eight fights by submission. <laughs> so people were freaking out in Japan. They go, like, what's going on here now? I, in the end of my career, because everybody knows me as a striker, I have actually more submission victories. I believe it's 14 submission victories and, and 11 knockouts. So uh, I think I went in as a striker, came out as a submission fighter. And that was it. You know, then UFC came over because I started beating UFC champions over in Japan. Uh, so the matchmaker John Peretti came over to Japan, wanted to see me fight, and he invited me. He says, "How many fights have you on your contract left?" I said, "I think about three or four. He said, "Well, we would like to have you at the UFC." So I, I finished my contract for Pancras. Then I went to the UFC, uh, became the UFC heavyweight champion, and you know I had already a lot of injuries in, in Japan, and those injuries they came they became way more prominent when I was. Uh, Fighting for the UFC, I had a big neck injury. Somebody threw me on my neck. So anyway, it was time for me to stop to retire. And it was a shame because I wanted to be the first guy who had two belts in two different weight classes. There was only two weight classes at the time. It was 200 pounds and under, 200 pounds and over. So I went down to light heavyweight. That's what they called it, heavyweight and light heavyweight. Uh, wanted to fight Frank Shamrock because he was the champion there. Uh, Frank gave up his title. Then it became Tito Ortiz. So I said, okay, I'll fight Tito. Then Frank heard about that. And he said, no, 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 I, I fight Tito, and if I beat Tito, I'll fight Boss. So, okay, then that was set up. But then after he fought Tito, maybe he had some injuries, he retired. So I never had the chance. And then I thought, you know what, that was the only spark that I had left yeah. to, tra to, to, to try to go through these injuries again. So I stopped, I retired. Seven years later, though, they asked me if I wanted to fight, that we were living in a house. I was looking for a house with a pool. And they offered me a whole bunch of money. So I go, yeah, why not? I was drinking heavy at the time. <clears throat> And I knew that if I would take the fight, I would automatically stop that I had to, uh, mean that I had to stop drinking. So I stopped that, took the fight. All the injuries came back. I won the fight. I, I stopped in the first round with low kicks. That, that was really nice because I never won a fight with low kicks before. So I could that, put that as a check mark on my list of uh, crazy victories. <laughs> and that was it. Boss uh, was done. And then I started streaming over into TV, business, movies, all that kind of stuff. So that's pretty much everything in a nutshell. How uh, how do you think the UFC's changed from uh, when you were first in there to now? Like, is it better, or do you think the competitions are a lot more difficult? Do you think the levels have changed? How do you think you would compete nowadays as well if uh, a young you was in the UFC a young, now? Well, you know, they they always say you're only as good as your training partners, right? Yeah. I had one, and and that guy never submitted me ever, so I was only dominating him. So that means that if I can do that with one guy who can, who I can beat all the time, you know, I, I would love to be in a group where people actually put pressure on me. 
you know, because then I start excelling again. I start getting better and better. So I, I believe that a young boss in this day and age with a good group of fighters and trainers, yeah, I, I think I would uh, I would do great. But this boss right now going in against the fighters that there are now, I'm going to get slaughtered. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I didn't I didn't train a long time. I have four neck surgeries. Look, my whole arm, you see a whole hole here. Yeah. You see it's all atrophied. So uh, I have about 35% power in this arm compared to the left. So, but I'm still rehabbing from that uh, injury. It's already like eight years ago now. But uh, yeah, I, I, I think that the level right now is super high. Uh, the reason I won at the time was because I was good on the ground and good on my feet. I was never a good wrestler, but it didn't really uh, matter because if they would take me down, I would submit them. That was the greatest stat that the UFC, uh, when I got inducted into the UFC Hall of Fame, they had stat, they said he won 14 fights by submission, yet he never took anybody down. So that was... <laughs> That was kind of cool. That meant that they took me down. I would reverse them and I go for a submission on them. So, yeah, right now I think the level and the weight classes and everything that they did with fighting is the way it's supposed to be. You know, people can say whatever they want. Oh, we fought at times when size didn't matter. Size does matter. We fought at times that we had 265-pound guys who were not black belts in jiu-jitsu. Now, if you face a guy who's 265, who's probably cutting down from 285, and you're like 210 pounds, you're going to have a problem. You're going to have that monster on top of you with a black belt <clears throat> on top of it. It's a big thing. So, yeah, weight classes. I was very happy to hear that I came weight classes. Also, the rules. I, I like pretty much everything about the modern fighting, the modern mixed martial arts rule. And I think the fighters are just insanely good. Yeah. I mean, um, the only criticism I had with the kind of having to see a lot of people have with the UFC is the, uh, the sort of belt ranking system at the moment where you've got like one and two fighting but then the championship uh the person with the belt will like fight number five like um you've got that khabib tony <coughs> ferguson dustin poirier conor mcgregor situation going on and it's kind of like how how do they sort that out do you know what i mean it's it's a difficult it's a nice situation to be in because you've got four great fighters but at the same time it's kind of like uh someone's gonna get overlooked you know and yep. uh with like dustin poirier I feel I've, I follow him on Instagram, so I see a lot of his stuff, and I feel like he's kind of being uh, overlooked at the moment. You know, he's beating people up. He's come back after his defeat uh, to Conor McGregor years back, and has looked like a completely different dude. And yep. yeah, it seems like he's just not being allowed his his big moment. Do you know what I mean? To to call out for the belt and, and win the championship. <clears throat> he's the guy. He's a guy like me, like I was. He doesn't speak up yet, mm. but he should. You know, like I was in Japan, I won like 11, 12 fights in a row and they still didn't give me a title. And then that's when I became vocal. You know, then I started to say, I, I guess everybody's afraid of me. They don't want to give me a title shot. You know, once you start saying that, hey, now you get the attention. And now they, they're going to get the questions from the media. Hey, why is he not getting a title shot? And that's how I got myself a title shot. So I think Poirier, the, the, he's a very decent human being. He's an unbelievable fighter. That's right, the diamond. I mean, it, it, he, he's so good. Yes, they should give him a shot, you know, but if it doesn't come from their side, unfortunately, he's going to have to be vocal about it and start, uh, you know, start speaking his mind because that's what you have to do nowadays. Yeah. Are you a Conor McGregor fan or? Not yeah, fan? huge Conor McGregor fan. I'm, uh, you know, anybody who gets attention to that beautiful sport that gave, gave me this beautiful life, <laughs> I'm all for it. And I met him a bunch of times. He's a really good guy. Everybody's talking. You, Yes, we all get caught 
caught up in a few bad moments in our lives. You know, that that happens. I, I'm, I'm happy there was no social media around when we were competing with Don Fry and Coleman and all these guys. Man, we did some crazy stuff as well. So now I'm not smashing buses and that, that hopefully never happened. But, you know, we did some crazy stuff as well. As a fan, you should say, okay, that happened. Let's see how he deals with it, which he did really well because he didn't do anything anymore. You know, we should forgive this guy because uh, look what he did for the sport. No, I agree. I think he's taken uh, the the UFC to a, a new level and brought in a new set of fans, you know, and making them more money, basically. Because you have those, uh, you know, the the like the Joe Rogans, for example, where we're watching the sport and we're loving every minute we know what's going on. And then you kind of have the, the fair weather fans who are like, Conor McGregor's fighting, take my money, you know. And I think those people that are like Conor McGregor's fight and take my money have also been now sucked into the sport um, to see other fights and other fighters going on on the cards. And they're like, oh, damn, you know, what have I been missing for the last five years, ten years? You know, so I think uh, he's definitely elevated the sport. Yeah, I, I, I believe that the reason they sold the UFC for so much money, I mean, think about it, Real Madrid. I mean, soccer is the biggest sport on the planet. I think that was two and a half billion dollars they paid for Real Madrid. Yeah. And now we have over four billion dollars for the UFC. And I think the main reason there was Ronda Rousey and it was Conor McGregor. And they probably thought, oh, there's more of these people going to come. Unfortunately, they're going to be very hard to find. To find another Ronda Rousey, I mean, who does the same thing? That's the same as looking at another find another uh, Gracie in the beginning. You know, that, that it was it was completely new. You know, with Sakuraba also. Sakuraba beat four Gracies. But you can't do that anymore because they're not there anymore. Like, you know, there's no family anymore that is so dominant. But, you know, at those times, he he did something that nobody else did. And that's what McGregor and now uh, Ronda Rousey, what they did. And I think based on those two fighters, and of course you got John Jones, but he doesn't have the pay-per-view numbers that those two fighters have, especially McGregor. Mm. You know, so, yeah. No, he, they did a lot of good. I don't know if it was a good buy. Because now with Ronda being gone, I don't know how many fights more Conor is going to fight. But uh, eventually, yeah, they will get their money back. But it's going to take a little bit longer now than they anticipated. I think so. Yeah. What do you think about the um, the John Jones situation with the the PEDs in his system? And uh, obviously, his last card had to be moved because they found small traces. And I think um, Scott Coker from Bellator said something along the lines of like, if he's got something in his system. He's got something in his system. He shouldn't be fighting. And I'm kind of, I don't know, you know, on that on that one. Yeah, well, they they say the same thing. I had um, uh, my my friends were saying the same thing. It's in the system. He did something illegal. Yes, it was a long time ago. Yes, it probably doesn't help him now anymore because it's like a minute they, they were talking about a rice, a grain of rice, and that a million pieces, and that's the amount or something. But. It was still in the system, you know, so maybe you should wait till it's uh, completely out. Now, if it doesn't do anything anymore for him, you know, uh, physical-wise, then I can understand that situation. But, you know, just to be caught in the first place. This is a guy with that much talent. He doesn't need anything. Trust me. Yeah. He's, he's yeah. just an unbelievable specimen. I mean, it's, <clears throat> it's mad, isn't it? Maybe it's a, a, a mental thing for, for him or was a mental thing for him. Like, because he is, you know, he's great. His physique's impeccable well, you know talent quality but maybe he needed that mental edge where he's like i need to take something to to make sure i definitely win you know that fear of failure it almost. A, it, yeah it is an insecurity mm. you know they can say he can jump high as low as he wants that doesn't matter he's insecure about himself yes it's got to be because otherwise you wouldn't take that 
Yeah. I never had that. I knew I was physically strong. I never, I never took any PEDs because it was necessary. I started fighting at 28 and uh, mixed martial arts. And if I had 28 and then up, don't need it. Why are guys at, at 20, between 20 and 25 are, are, are needing it? You don't need it. You know, it's a simple thing. And also, how do you want to look at yourself in the mirror? You're standing there with your belt looking at your mirror, but you know you cheated. Hmm. I mean, let's be honest. You know, if you took that stuff, you cheated. So, you know, and I, I, we will never know. If it's, that's for him. And that's forgot to, to, to realize what the, what is the truth right there. But I wouldn't like it. I wouldn't like it if I would have been caught with that and then and then become a champion. I don't think if you get caught with steroids, with period EDs, whatever it is, uh, you become a champ. To me, you're not a real champ. No, I agree. What did you do to to your arm then? What happened with uh, that injury? How did that happen? <clears throat> that was actually in a, a TV show, a fight scene for a TV show. And it was a really stupid little... A scene that I jumped on his back and we needed to find a way for me to fall off. So I said, okay, what about this? I jump on top, I grab his neck, but I don't put the hooks in. And because I don't put the hooks in, he raises his butt, I slide off, I spike myself on the ground, I'm dizzy, then he hits me in the throat because I was fighting the lead actor. And the lead actor already said, the script said that he was going to knock me out. He says, his boss rooted. I cannot just knock him out. We got to do something, come up with something. Maybe I'm lucky with something. And so that we came up with that scenario. And, and, and dumb me, it came from me. I slide off. I spike myself. And then I will be dizzy. And you hit me in the throat. And then I'll go down. But we cannot do this a lot of times because it's very. I, I shouldn't spike myself, you know, idiot. And then uh, that was it. You know, and I didn't even realize it until like two months later when I couldn't lift my, my uh, carry-on luggage anymore, which freaked me out because I thought I lost all my power. So when I grabbed the luggage, I couldn't lift it up. I go, oh, shit. So I grabbed the other hand and I could lift it. I go, okay, so it's something local. I need to figure out what it is. And then I looked in the mirror. I saw my arm going slower, smaller and smaller like in, in the weeks. You know, in three weeks, suddenly it started slinking. And I go, something is up. And then I went to the doctor. He misdiagnosed. They thought it was a shoulder problem. Now it took two more months. Yeah, now we're three months into the injury, you know, and nerves, they're very sensitive. You have to really be there right from the get-go. And uh, that unfortunately didn't work. So now I'm still at four neck surgeries later, you know, I'm still recouping from it and slowly but surely. Like the part, this arm, like the bottom part, that was my entire arm. So this actually is coming back now, the bi top bicep, and then hopefully it's going to go slowly down because you see my arm here also. It's just... It's just gone, but you know, I couldn't snap my fingers for, for four or five years. Wow. I couldn't hold the phone. I couldn't. I couldn't do anything. Couldn't put, brush my teeth. That's how uh, how much power I had. Couldn't put power power pressure on my teeth. That's how sick it was. You know. So, yeah, that was an uh, it was a hard thing to deal with because you know if you're used to pulling yourself up on one arm nine times and then you go from that to not be able to grab the milk out of the fridge, that's a scary thing, especially as an athlete. So mentally. That took a bit for me to get over until I saw Nick Newell. I don't know if you know about Nick Newell. He's born with a, he's a congenital amputee. He's born with half an arm. Okay. Unbelievable mixed martial artist. He's got two belts in smaller organizations. Now he's going to the UFC. I mean, this guy, and he's submitting people. He's stopping people. So it's not like, like from his, let's say, 14 wins, he had probably 12 stoppages. So it's not a guy who just wins. No, he, he dominates. And when I saw him fight, I go, man, I'm complaining. I still have a hand. You know, and thankfully I can grab with it. He doesn't even have a hand. So uh, I shouldn't be complaining. And that really made it better for me. Gave me peace of mind. What's the what's your rehab process like for that then at the moment? Like what are you doing to, to rehab your arm? 
you know, it's just constantly firing it, firing it, you know, with, with little weights. I got five weights, seven weights, 10 pounds weights, and just do constantly sparking, sparking it, and hopefully it starts reconnecting. It is some somewhere uh, blocked. I have the feeling in my shoulder, which I've been saying to all the uh, surgeons, but, you know, they it's it's been such a long time ago, they can't figure out where it is blocked. It's very hard to find out. So uh, that's the only thing I'm doing. I got a power plate now at my gym, that machine where I use a lot of vibration to see if I can loosen it up like that. Like yesterday I went there and started stretching with the power plate because that loosens everything up and hopefully it jumps free one day because it's not dead. You know, it's still working. So if it will be dead, yeah, then the arm goes. But it's still going and I still have the strength is going up. Like I can do eight reps with 20 pounds, you know, and if people go like, that's nothing. I go, yeah, but I couldn't do three pounds. Mm. That's how it started. So if you look slowly but surely, it's still going up in a curve. I just don't think that these muscles are going to come back. I have the feeling that that's pretty much going to be gone. I'm going to have to live with that. Um, so what got you, was it just the bullying that got you into a MMA, like uh, mixed martial arts in the first place? Was that, or was it, seeing Bruce Lee doing his thing and then he was like I'm going into it was it both of them or was there something else in you that was like I just I know I'm good at this so I'm gonna I'm gonna keep going as well that was it you know I I realized when I knocked the first bully out it was one punch and then with my other two body two other bodies who also were bullied we made a list with all the guys who bullied us in our lives and we went after these guys and uh and then we realized wait a minute we're it's actually pretty easy. These bullies, they, they really can't fight. I mean, we will drop them left and right, you know. So, yeah, I, once I felt that I had the niche for it and I started competing in Thai boxing and it worked out there, you know, until I lost the fight. But still, that was because I didn't prepare. You know, if I would have prepared for two and a half months, it could have been a completely different outcome. So, you know, that's, that's how it started. And then once I learned the submissions, once I got obsessed with that and realized that, I, hey, I'm actually good at this. You know, I'm not just regular. I can do this really well now. And then started submitting people. Listen, after I learned the ground game, I never lost a fight. I didn't lose a fight in my last 22 fights. So it's a really great way ending your career. Mm. But, you know, it also shows you that you simply put the work in. And then and, and then anybody can do it. It's not only me. Yes, I do have talent. But I'm not extremely talented. And what about this? You know, if you have faced a guy who's less talented, but he's at the same level, that means he had to train way harder than you did in order to get that level, to reach that level. And those guys are really hard to beat because they had to work really hard for it. They don't want to let it go. So there's always pluses and minuses with talent and having no talent. You know, you look at some fighters who, there's some fighters who are, they don't have a lot of talent. You can tell the way they kick, they kick upwards, they have bad technique. Guess what, they become a champion. Because they have a lot of heart, they have determination, they had to work for, for it much harder than everybody else. And, and and those guys, that's what I always say, they're the hardest guys to beat. Yeah, I mean, um, what sort of kept you motivated when you were competing? So was it to be number one or did you just, or was it the money? Do you know what I mean? Was it the lifestyle in general? Was just the training sessions like great and you're just like, you know what, I love this. I love turning up, training, getting my, getting my groove on. What was the motivator? Yeah, I know it was really, I fell in love with it. I I, I was talking yesterday to somebody that I couldn't believe that there are fighters out there who who hate training. Like Quentin Jackson told me he hates training. I go, dude, that's a hard job to have. If you hate training, I would look forward to going to train. 
<clears throat> listen, when I got obsessed with submissions, I would wake up in the middle of the night would dream a submission, would wake up my wife, put her in that submission, ask her uh, where it hurt. It's your shoulder, right? Okay, the mechanic. So I got it down. I would write it down and I would, I would look, I was looking forward to go to class and to start trying it out on other guys, you know? So that, that's the thing with loving something. You know, that's how I always say the same line. People go, yeah, oh, my passion is to be a guitarist, you know, and uh, I want to be a Jimi Hendrix. Yeah, that's your passion. My passion is to be a great singer. Unfortunately, it's never going to happen because I don't have the voice for that. And it's the same with you. You don't have the talent for that. You got to follow what, you're, what you love. Don't follow your passions. That's completely wrong. Follow what you love because everything you love, you do with love, and that's why you do it a lot. If you look at school when you were young, all the, all, the, all the subjects in school that you excelled at were subjects that you loved. All the things you suck at, you hated it. Math, I hated math. Don't need math. Two plus two, all that stuff. Yeah, I don't need to feed two onto content. That, I don't need that kind of stuff. You know, I don't even want to be clouded in my head. I hated it. You know, but history, I was really good at history or biology because I enjoyed doing those kind of things. And that's the same with fighting and it's the same as everything else in life. So, yeah, I fell in love with it. And I just loved all, everything about it. And then also going to Japan and meeting people and meeting fighters. You know, I'm in this position that I'm, right now, if I, you know, if I have a flight, if, if they take care of my flight, <clears throat> I can pretty much go to any country now. I have so many friends in the mixed martial arts world around the planet that I can deliver. If I, if, if I go to Brazil, I'm pretty sure I call a guy and say, hey, can I uh, stay with you a couple of days? That's not going to be a problem because I... I know everybody. So meeting people from different countries, you know, who do the same thing as you and there's such a camaraderie among those guys, you know, the breakfast that we had in Japan, you know, with all the fighters together, it's one big laugh fest, you know, everybody wakes up because of the jet lag, the cracking jokes, it's just six o'clock in the morning, everybody's having a great time. So yeah, the whole thing, the camaraderie among the fighters. Uh, and, and just a training, the sport, and always want to be the best. And I always had that in everything. You know, I did track a field at a high level, and uh, I play cards with you. I want to win. You know, that now, now finally I'm 53, almost 54 years old. I, I toned down a little bit with that because the competitive side, I need to let that go. But, you know, stupid things like walking a, a big st stairs, I want to be the first guy on top. I still can't let that go. Late yesterday, a friend of mine was walking, and I remember me putting my foot first on the top we weren't even racing but in my mind i put my foot before him on top of the, the stairs and i go dude just still doing it this is so crazy it's very hard to let go but if, if you're wired like that always want to excel well you can translate that into everything else that you do in life look at the acting and look at you know say oh you did such a great acting job you have no clue what i did for that I went to acting classes a long time. I rehearsed private coaches. I made sure that if I get an opportunity, yeah, I'm going to make it happen. Just like I did in fighting, I worked for it. So it's just putting the work in it, uh, the work in, and then you will excel. And that's pretty much in everything that you do. Yeah, I was going to ask about uh, <coughs> your acting side of things because I was wondering whether you got headhunted and someone was like, yeah, we want you to be in our fighting film, or whether you did have to like go and audition and and take up acting lessons and so forth was that like did was there any opportunities where people did come and say we want you in even though you can't act very well or was it like okay i'm acting i'm learning i'm going to this audition i fit the part i'm in yeah but when, when i came to america within three weeks i was taking acting classes because and i was still competing but i knew eventually after competing i wanted to do something else i'm always been that guy i'd rather be prepared you know so 
that I still had like a year of fighting, but I already started taking acting classes. You know, just just start doing what you want to do. And if you, you never know when it's over. <clears throat> Listen, I can walk on the street and a car comes, doesn't see me, boom, compound fracture in my leg, can never fight again. Now what? You know, so if you didn't prepare a backup plan, you're going to be in trouble. And thankfully, I always have done that in my life. It comes from my parents. They always let me work for everything. I had five jobs when I was 12 or 14 years old. A dishwasher, restocking groceries. I worked on the farm. I had two newspaper jobs, you know, working, 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 working. But, you know, you, you don't like it as a kid. But once you get old, I said this last time in an interview as well. I called my dad like five years ago. That's like when I was 48 or something. And on, 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 I, I told him on Father's Day how much I enjoyed it that he had to let me work, that he let me work for what I wanted. You know, for instance, if I wanted a stereo, they would give me the stereo, the amp, and they would give the tuner and everything else, but they wouldn't give me the speakers. You go make your money for your own speakers. You know, well, that sparked me. Of course you hated it at that moment, but now I realize it was the best gift they could ever give to me because I can do anything. You know, I'm not shy for working. I can work 12, 16 hours a day. I don't care. Once I work, I want to work. So, and, but it translates to everything. So we, even if I lose a job right now, I can go sell uh, cars if I want to. And I think I'm going to be really good at it because I'm good with people. I have great people skills. I know people, hey, how you took it, boom, boom, boom. And I, I, I think bartender, whatever, you know, but it all stems from what my mom and dad did to me when I was a kid. If you want something, you have to work for it. That's very true. Um, what are your future plans? What have you got lined up um, for you? At the moment, what, what what can we expect to see in the future? Well, I, I'm looking at it right now, so let me grab it real fast. I made this thing. I made this little device. I just did it actually, 31. I do it every day, and I post it on a special Facebook site, so other people who have who bought this thing, it's no to trainer. This thing uh, trains your lungs, and it cured me from my asthma, like in three weeks. Sent it to a friend of mine in Holland who had asthma, eight days, gone. He's selling it in Europe right now. So, and then I, if it is good for asthma patients, you can only imagine what it does for athletes, right? It gives you bigger lungs, stronger lungs. It, it, it uses the outside muscles of your core, and that's how you breathe. You know, you, a lot of people think that you breathe with your, using your lungs, but it's not. You know, it's, it's between the lungs and the body, there's a vacuum, so to say. And if you expand your chest, that's how you open your lungs. That's literally the way it is, expanding your chest. So with this, you can expand it more. You can pull it out because you use the outside muscle. It's, it's breathing in with resistance. Now, I was sick as a kid. I was I was doing decathlon. Uh, I wanted to be, believe it or not, the next Bruce Jenner because he was the gold medalist in '76, and uh, he, he was the man for me. Um, and so I was really good at everything that I did, except of course the 1500 meters because of my asthma. But every time I had an asthma attack, because I used to have asthma all day, but every six weeks or so I would be a week in bed, eight days in bed, not able to eat or do anything because I was <laughs> laying like that 24 uh, seven for, for seven, eight days straight. But then when I would resume my track and field, I would break my running times every time. And I, it blew my mind. I go, why, why is this? until I went to the doctor's office and I saw a drawing of a pair of lungs on the wall in a frame. And that's when I realized that the lung infection is not in your lungs, it's in the air pipes that go to the lungs. And they showed an infected uh, air pipe and they showed a healthy one next to each other. And I go, oh, that was alive, I was 14 years old. Boom, I got it. I've been working out my, my, my lungs. I've been pulling air in through an infected area so it cost a lot of power. I made it, made it stronger so then when the infection is gone, 
Now suddenly I, I'm much stronger breathing in. That's the reason I'm breaking my running times. So that always stayed in my mind. I start training with coins with holes in them in front of my teeth. I try to breathe through the hole, but it's of course very dangerous because if you breathe in and the thing gets in your lung, well, you're dead. So you have to watch out. But it was always a, an invention that I wanted to make, the routinizer. That was the original name of it. And then many years later, like seven years later, I decided to make it because everybody told me, dude, that's a really good idea. You got to make this thing. And I made it. There was no patent for it. So I got the patent. And now we realize now we're curing asthma. And now we're finding out that Usain Bolt, three other gold medalists, all are doing the same training. And, and I got in contact with that with with the scientist who trains them. And now he gave me these published medical journals it, what means that it's 100% proven what it does for you. So, you know, it, from something that gave me so much aggravation when I was a kid, you know, I came up and made this invention. So that's a big focus right now is on the O2 trainer, making sure that it gets out there and people know what it actually can do for you. And it's working well for singers, for horn instrument players, yoga, divers, everything. Uh, Sticks uh, Severinsen, I'm going to have a meeting with him tomorrow um, he's a guy from Denmark. He is uh, the world record holder uh, holding his breath. This guy is insanity. 22 minutes holds his breath, but he also does. He goes to let's say Alaska, whatever it is. He sits on the ice in his speedos. He's warming himself up and meditating. They cut a hole in the ice and they cut a hole like uh, 90 meters further away, so like 100 yards. They cut another hole in the ice. He literally goes. In the water, he swims underwater to the other hole, and then he comes out, sits on the ice, and then he meditates himself warm again. Wow. So uh, I can't wait to meet this guy because he, he just emailed me. He says, I'm here. I'm free today and tomorrow, so tomorrow we're going to meet up. But uh, that's the cool thing because now I got all these connections, you see, but it all came because of fighting. Because I'm fighting, I train uh, special forces, elite special forces, and the elite special forces guy actually set me up with Stig Severinsen. So uh, you see, it's all connections, but it started with martial arts. I think that's a um, a good sort of message to people out there as well, is that sort of everything you do in your life later on will have or show some sort of meaning. So you started with martial arts, but you built connections there. And then sort of now you're using, you're going to be releasing, is it the O2 trainer? Is that what you call it? Yeah, O2 yeah. trainer. Yeah, you're going to be releasing that, and then the connections you made then are now helping you now in the sense of growing. You can fly wherever you want. You know, meet meet people, stay there. It's all it's all covered for you. It's, it must be quite a nice feeling, I think. It is. It's it's insane. Now I could find something that cures asthma. You know, now I'm working. I'm already talked to an FDA guy. Uh, I already sent a box over to them. They they make these machines, the pulmonary, pulmonary machines, where they can measure uh, power and everything with the lungs. They're going to give it to the doctors for free to their uh, patients. So now they're going to measure them before, and then they let them work out with the auto trainer, and then we're going to have a result after. So once that is going to be done, I'm going to have the medical backup to to show the people what it does i think that could be very interesting just the fact that usain bolt and three other gold medalists also are doing it i think that uh, already speaks volume so yeah it's uh it's amazing that something that was your achilles heel became your biggest strength yes mad yes. did you ever get um nervous before you fought and how did you manage your nerves then or was you always just calm and cool and 
smooth. Yeah, no, no, you it, it, It's chaos, especially your first fights. But I had that, thankfully, in Thai boxing already. Still, in Thai boxing, with the audience, the people screaming, I was always a very aggressive fighter. I was very calm, very nice and relaxed until I got hit. You know, bonk, oh, really? And then I would just knock the guy out. But there was not a lot of technique involved. That was just brute strength and just go. And, um, and once I went to uh, Japan, that's when I really started to, to calm down. Now, when I would be nervous, I'm really good at I'm a really good self-motivator. And you can only, of course, do that with truth because otherwise it won't work. But if you really break a fight down, there's not a lot you have to be worried about. I mean, I, I think a motocross guy who takes a hill and makes three backflips, I think that's way more dangerous than fighting is. So many things can go wrong with us. Well, my guy that I'm fighting is right in front of me. As long as I keep my eyes on him, I should be fine because I train for it every day, two times or three times a day in order to stop his attack. So, you know, once you start talking to yourself like that, what's the worst thing that can happen? You get knocked out? Well, apparently you're not going to feel that. That's what they say. You're going to wake up and they go, what hit me? Okay, so what is worse? Worse is... Uh, getting completely dominated. Like the guy gets an armbar on you, and then just before you want to tap, he lets you go, and he says, no, 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 let's get back up, and let's do it again. Boom, and he hits you down, and he hook, but it goes for a leg lock. And then just before you want to tap, he lets you go. But that also will never happen in real life. So if you simply break it down to yourself, and you know that at the moment the bell goes, doom, that calmness comes over you, well, you simply focus on that moment. So if nurse would creep up, I would simply think, dude, you know that when the bell goes, you're in the zone. It's always like that. And so just trust that. You know, and once I started trusting that, yeah, then then you're not nervous anymore. But you can only do it, of course, with truth. Because if you start you know, lying to yourself, well, you know you're lying. So it's not going to work like that. So do you think your mindset just stems from your, your parents, uh, from what they've done? Or have you also worked on your mindset as well? Do you know what I mean? Was it like, has it always been ingrained in you? Or have there been moments where you've gone through like really tough times and thought, oh, man, I need to work on myself. I need to pick myself back up. You know, it's, I used to live in the attic. And if I say attic, they think it's a small, no, that was the biggest room in the house. That's why I wanted to live there. But there was no restroom on that floor. There was the top floor. There was a restroom one uh, floor down. If I had an asthma attack for seven or eight days, well, go to the restroom. That's, that's a half hour minimum mission to just go down the stairs, to take a pee, and then to go back up. Going back up, that's literally taking two steps, sitting down, <laughs> recouping for like three, four minutes, take two steps again, backwards, sit down again, you know. So once you're used to that, plugging through that kind of stuff every single day, like eight days in a row, and, and you're used to still do things while you're incredibly sick, I think that helped me a lot in fighting as well. Because now I know I have to push through. There was a necessity because I had to. Otherwise, I had to do in the ground or I had to bucket, you know. But no, I want to go to the restroom. Okay, that's an, uh, it's going to be a journey. I'm going to have to go down. And you have to be really tough for that. And I think that really set me up. Also, the itching, the crushing of the, the skin disease, the bullying, all the things that happened to me as a kid actually made me perfect to become a fighter i think it's mad because like obviously we sometimes as like human beings don't necessarily notice that the negative influences that we're having can actually produce that positive mindset and that that will and that strength that that we do need uh, to excel in in anything that we do in life you know those dark days or whatever um you know 
So it's kind of, uh, how to explain it? It's, it's <coughs> like uh, people should look at sometimes, see those negative moments and think, Do you know what, this is helping me build a bit of character and this is going to be what helps me excel in the future and, and later on in life. Everything in life, every, we're all directed there by God, right? I'm, I'm a big believer. And, and I truly believe that everything they put, he puts you in front of you is, is, a, for, is, is a, for you to overcome that, to become a better person. Now, there's people who, you know, are weak. And especially nowadays, there's a lot of weak people because everything is online. There's not real manual work anymore. Not like in the early days. Now it's like, oh, I, I want to invent an app. I, I want to be the next billionaire. You know, th this is what they do. So a lot of these kids are on the phones, are overweight. Here in America right now, I just read stats that 71% uh, of the 17, between 17 and 24-year-old guys we have here in America, 71% would not pass the, the test to go in the, in the military right now. Wow. That's how sad wow. it is. And it's all around the world. Everybody's getting bigger, 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 because we don't do anything anymore. Everybody's sitting in front of the computer. Every, the whole world is right here while we're talking. Look, this, this thing that you and I are doing right now, that wouldn't have been possible. We would have to meet in person, you know, many years ago. Not anymore. The world became one on your computer. And it's very interesting. But, you know, people are, you always look, we are wired to find the, the, the path of least resistance. You know, if it, uh, it, it, they never really want to work for it. Like if I have a hot phone call to make, you know, if I have to whatever, fire somebody or something to do, it will be the first thing I do on the day. Because if I postpone it, postpone it, everything that I don't like, I do it immediately. My rule is like do everything that you can do now. Don't, don't postpone it because you never know what's going to happen in the future. If I want to do it tomorrow, maybe tomorrow my kids are going to be sick and I'm all day long in the hospital, whatever it is, there's always something that come in between. So once you train yourself to just take care of the problem immediately, you get used to it. It becomes a habit. And once it becomes a habit, it's much easier to deal with. But people want to stay away from that because, nah, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. And the more you put it off, the weaker your habit becomes. And then it's a weak habit. It's not working. You got to break it. You got to do it. And that's it. And then hold yourself to it. And once you develop the habit, keep doing it. Because as easy as that habit comes, as you can lose it that easy as well. You know, you don't do it three days in a row. It's like the auto trainer. I do it every day. And I post about it so that people can see it. And yes, I miss a day here and there. But I might have missed 15 days now since last year, May. You know, so that's it's a pretty high thing. So, yes, I might may lose because I'm traveling. Maybe I go to I flew to Greece and on the way. Oh, I'm not going to do it in a plane when everybody's looking. I'm like doing this crazy exercise. People look at me I'm like I'm crazy. So I miss that day. And I don't you know, it's not a big deal for me. But I make sure that the next day in the morning I wake up with my jet lag. I first I'm going to do the auto trainer again. It's just the thing that I program myself to do. It's like working out. I have this uh, workout. This is an audio workout. It's called the Boss Rooted MMA workout. Disc three from that workout is an extremely hard workout. I have professional fighters come in. We used to do this as a warm-up. Five rounds of three minutes, and the minute break, we would kettlebell swings or push-ups. So there's no rest. It's a 20-minute. That's a warm -up. So when is your fight? Two weeks? I wouldn't fight if I were you. You're not in shape. Because, yeah, but this is a crazy workout. Yeah, it was for us, too. But guess what? You keep doing it. The first time you st it's two rounds and it becomes three rounds, it goes four rounds and suddenly it's five rounds. It's just doing it because your body will adapt. And it's not only me, my whole team, everybody did the 20 minute workout. So it's not like me, I'm genetically crazy and I can do it only. No, everybody could do it. It's just putting the work in. But if you don't put the work in, nothing is going to happen. So it's either you change what you're doing or, or, or you never become what you want to become. Interesting. Um, 
really interesting conversation we've had. I've run out of questions for you. Is there anything you'd like to add in to uh, to say in the conversation? Is there anything you'd like to add or say to the to the people listening? No, yeah, that's pretty much the last thing that I said. You know, you can pre- you can you can do a lot. A little, people don't don't realize what you can do. You know, if you have guys like a stick that I was just talking about, sitting on the ice, swimming on the ice, hundred meters, come out of another hole, sits on top of it, and he's meditating, and he gets warm again. That's something that you, when you see that, you can never attain. Guess what? He just did it. Mm. You know, I'm training the elite special forces, like the top guys, right? They were talking to me one time uh, during training. I heard, overheard them talking about going on a, on a. Um, they, they, they went throughout the whole world climbing the highest mountains. Every big mountain they took, you know. So they were talking about a certain mountain. I forgot the name. And he was telling. Uh, they were saying. Uh, I, I asked them how say how many days does it take. Uh, they said nine. For us, it takes nine days. I said, what is the normal? It's not ah, 13, 14 days. I said, wow, that's fast. He says, yeah, it's fast, but there's this one guy who just blows everybody away. I go, what? He does it in eight days? And they didn't have any movement in their face. I said, seven days, six days, five, four, three, two, one day? And they still didn't nod. I go, what? He said, eight hours. I say, you're doing nine days. You're the elite. This is the best, best special force we have here in America. And... and and you do nine days and this guy does it in eight hours. That's what you're saying. And they go, yeah. I said, how is that possible? He says, well, the guy has a, apparently have a, has a half a mile hill next to his home that goes straight up. He, puts a, he started one day, put a log in his neck, a big tree trunk, and he starts squatting it up. And maybe he could go 20 yards and that was it. But guess what? He's doing That he's doing every day now, the whole hill, half a mile up with a big log in his face, is just doing it. You see what I mean? There we go again. Your body will adapt. Your body can do some crazy things. And now this guy, we, <laughs> I started laughing. Imagine you're at day eight and you're climbing the mountain and you're in your tent and you're cooking your oatmeal and this guy comes in his, in his, in his track suit and he comes running by and he just runs the hill up. You know, and you go like, what is this? I mean, I thought we were fast in nine days. The guy does it in eight hours. That's a big difference. Mm. You know, half that time, four and a half days will be an insane time. But do it in eight hours. That shows you that you can do anything you want. It's just, again, putting the work in. Uh, Biggest thing I always use, uh, I do these talks for these kids in high school when they go to college. That's every May. I talk to like 500 kids and I talk to where they have to prepare themselves for. My first question is always, because I talk a lot about habits, because habits is everything in life. Uh, I tell them, um, who, who, uh, a show of hands, who woke up this morning from the alarm bell, hit the snooze button, fell 10 minutes to sleep, hit the snooze button again when it went, hit it again, did it like four or five times and then got up. And you'll be amazed. 90% of the hands will go up. Like it's not 20%, everybody pretty much does that. I say that's a bad habit. You can break that bad habit literally tomorrow. It's going to talk, cost you about seven or 10 days, but that's it. Tomorrow morning, you tell yourself before you go to sleep, the alarm bell goes, whoop, you sit up in bed and you just walk out. That's it. Like my alarm clock goes, I sit up, I walk out. I'm not laying there, oh, you know, I wanted two more. No, I sit up. I trained myself to do that. You do this for a week or 10 days, now it's a new habit. And now just stay with the habit. Make sure it doesn't happen again. You know, so you just doing it with that simple exercise, that means you can do pretty much with everything. So believe in yourself. You can do more than you can and just develop a habit for it and you will be just fine. No, man, thank you for coming on today. I really appreciate it.
It's been You're very welcome. Um, an absolute honour to talk to you and uh, some really insightful information there. And I definitely agree with you in the sense that we can program ourselves to to basically achieve whatever we want. It's just being consistent on the journey and strict and sticking to the poor, the good habits rather than the poor ones like laying in bed and hitting that snooze block. Yeah, two books. Two books, I would say. Get the Alchemist from Paulo Coelho. That's a real... Uh... A real good book and the greatest salesman in the world, or world's greatest salesman, by Augmentino. But that takes ten months to read. But guess what? But they told me it takes ten months to read. I, I didn't want to do it, but I say, you know what? There's got to be something to it. If they sold uh, 30, 40 million copies of that book, there's got to be power in that book. The Alchemist sold over 70 million. It's the most translated book next to the Bible on the planet. You know, it's a reason. You know, and if you see other people, big people, successful people reading it, read it. Trust me, it's a simple story about a sheep's herder who, who goes on a journey to find his personal legend. That's the story. You go like, what is boss saying? Trust me, just keep reading. Because once you read the story, it's a normal story, but then you realize you're starting to retrain your brain. He, that man, that guy, Paulo Coelho, found such a great way to get in people's heads by using examples in ordinary day life. It's the best book. And, and then the, the, the greatest salesman in the world it's a book about a salesman who's getting old now and he feels that he's going to die and needs to find an apprentice, somebody who's going to follow him up, right? So he's found this one kid and then he gives him the 10, the 10 scrolls, the scrolls to success. And that's why it's going to take you 10 months to read. So the book is literally this thin. It's a really thin book. But you have to read every chapter for a month. In the morning when you wake up, first thing, then during the day you find the time uh, for yourself, you read it again, and then just before you go to sleep you read it again, three times a day. And what you realize is that within 15, 16, 17, 18 days, it's like a five-minute read, so it's not a lot, so don't worry about it, but you memorized it. Like in 20 days you can literally, you can almost say it, uh, you, you can do it out, out the top of your head. So it's programming your mind, you see. And one of those, I think chapter one or two, is about habits, actually. And there's all, these are all things that we already know. When you go, yeah, I knew that. Yeah, but guess what? You're not living like that, you know? But if you read it three times a day for a month straight, now suddenly you're retraining your brain. And that helped me a lot as well. I, uh, I, I really want people to read that book as well. So The Alchemist and The Greatest Salesman in the World, you're going to be good. Cool, man. Um, I'll end this here, and if you've got two minutes, I'll just chat with your stream. Is that all right? Yep, sounds good. Cool, and if uh, people want to find you or contact you, what's the best way? Well, uh, right now, it's uh, Facebook. Go on uh, facebook.com slash bossrutten. It's one S, by the way. It's not bass, it's boss. And then uh, Instagram and, and, and Twitter are the same, bossrutten MMA. Now, don't expect a lot from me. I'm doing this 90-day challenge right now, on, uh, and, and that means they, I, they strip me from everything. It's called Exodus 90. It's a Catholic thing that we're doing. Um, you, you can only take cold showers. There's no more sodas. There's no more sweets. There's only three meals a day. You can't eat in between anymore. You can't watch TV. You can't watch movies. No sports. No internet. Or for your job like this, I'm allowed to do this because, you know, it's also to promote myself. So that's okay. Uh, on the phone, the same thing. You know, so I'm not a lot on the internet for the last 15, 16 days because I just started that. I still have 75 or 74 days to go now. So I'm not going to be a lot on there, but, you know, if there's a, a question that I read and I, it needs to be answered, for sure I do that. I'm not a big social media guy anyway, but most of the time what I'm doing is answering fans. They ask me a question, I just answer the fans. That's what I do, posting. 
I don't do a lot of posts, but uh, here and there, yeah, I'll put something on. Cool.